Thanks for tuning in. We hope this message encourages and challenges you today. Now here's Pastor Marco de Barros. We are in Esther. We started a series last week in the book of Esther, uh, looking at the story really of salvation, how God takes imperfect people in imperfect situations, and he begins to develop his perfect plan. And God takes situations that's happened in the past to, to illustrate how he still works, how he still operates. And we talked about how all of us are Esther. You know, spiritually speaking, we're all orphans. All of us went from rags to royalty. We have the blood of Jesus in us. It's what makes you royalty. It's what makes you who you are in Christ. You know, you're a new person. The old is gone. God is doing a new thing in your life. Can you say amen? And so this the story we talked about how he reads almost like a fairy tale because it, it sounds too good to be true, you know, and, and it is too good to be true because that's how grace works. Okay. It's beyond our comprehension. Like, we can't make sense of how can God love people and take them from rags to royalty, even though we don't earn it, we don't deserve it. It's God's gift to us. Can you say amen? And so it's a beautiful story of grace for all of us. It's a foreshadow that God wants us to have the same story like Esther. And today I want to pick up from chapter 3. Uh, I want to introduce you to the next uh, person in the story, which is also in your story. Uh, the Bible talks about how your story has a villain. You know, every good story has a villain. You know, we talked about how Esther reads like a Disney movie. Well, every Disney movie has a villain in it. You know, have you noticed, like, it's the moment that you say you want to follow God and things begin to fall apart. And you wonder, God, what happened? Nothing happened. You have a villain. There's a villain in your story that's trying to ruin the will of God over your life. But I got great news today. He's already been defeated. Your job is to just be in tune with God's will. So we're going to read uh, a couple of verses here in chapter 3 to give us uh, a, a platform to go on. Um, the, but the Bible says this. Okay, The villain is interesting that, um, man, I'm so thirsty. Mouth went really, really dry. Second time around, y'all, you know? Y'all are here fresh, like, come on, Pastor. I'm like, come on, man. Been here since 8, all right? Come on. <laughs> I just cracked myself up. That's all. <laughs> Esther chapter 3, verse 5 says, when Haman, which is interesting. Listen, throughout the scriptures, the villain takes on different names. Here, his name is Haman, and I'll explain in a second. Saw that Mordecai, remember, Mordecai was the person responsible for raising Esther. Okay, Mordecai was in a sense Esther's spiritual father. Okay, when, when, when he saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. In other words, the enemy is not happy that you're here right now because you're not going to bow your knees to the things of this world. Right? The enemy is after everybody to bow their knees to him, including he tried to come after Jesus to bow his knees to him. Right? He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. He instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. How crazy is that, the foreshadow of the spiritual battle that we're in? Like, he's not okay with just ruining you. He wants to ruin you and your entire family. Like, he's, he's after everything that God has for you, you know. But before I go any further, it's important that I give you this premise right from the start that every time we talk about the enemy, there's two extremes where we have to be careful with. Okay, there's two extremes. One extreme is he's not real. You know, some people are like, oh, you guys, <laughs> pitchfork, will you? No, come on, please. I don't believe in that devil either. 
Uh, the devil I believe in is way more powerful than that little red suit, pitchfork thing. Like, it, that's not real. You know, that, that's an extreme. And people are like, oh, please, please, like, please, come on. You know, and then the other side is the other side is, is also very dangerous is the what I call the water boy, water boy theology where everything is of the devil. You ever watch Waterboy? My mama said, my mama said, it was of the devil. Football is of the devil. You know what I mean? So there's always two extremes. He's, he's not real at all, and then he's, he's like, everything is the devil. There's some people you can't have a conversation with them without bringing up the devil. It's like, whoa, time out. Are you obsessed? Okay, Lex. Okay, but the truth is there's a third option, which is the biblical option that is real. Okay, he's very real. He shows up in your life, um, and he's here. The Bible says... Jesus said he's here to kill, steal, and destroy. Right? It's very real. If Jesus talked about the enemy, trust me, there's an enemy. And he's real. And he's fierce. And he's dangerous. And he's after you. But like I said, we don't fear the enemy. But we have to be aware of him. Right? If you win a battle, you have to know the strategy of your enemy. Right? Uh, like if you're, if you're in it to win it, well, you've got, you got to have a plan. Okay? I know some of y'all are hurting because you're Boston Celtics fans right now. Um, you know, I pray you come to the altar today and ask the Lord. You need to pray and fast for your team because, you know, there's an enemy called LeBron James. <laughs> LeBron James. Y'all are in trouble. Okay. Just going to rub it in your face a little bit more. Um, I'm so glad I'm a Warriors fan. I've been a Warriors fan since 1991. I'm glad I stayed faithful to my team. When they were in the bottom, started from the bottom, now we're here. Um, so pray for your team. I mean, y'all need a lot of prayer. I mean, I, mean, I don't know. Y'all, y'all need, like, fasting. Y'all need exorcism. Like, y'all need a lot of prayer. Celtics fans, don't show your hands. <laughs> but, uh, but there is an enemy. There's an opponent. And it's real. Right? It's important that we see how he operates, how he works, because if not, sometimes I, I, my, 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 my concern is we have fallen for his things without even realizing it, because he works behind the scenes, right? He's not here to say, hey, look, I'm here to ruin your life. We all will run the other way. No, he comes in subtle ways. That's why he's got many names. That's why he's called a deceiver. He's called a serpent. He's called a liar. He's called a thief, Right? He's called the enemy, but he's also called the accuser. Like he's got many names. He comes in many shapes and form. And so I need you to pay attention today. I pray you're taking notes because these are strategies that you need to see in your life. Sometimes, you know, we preach a message. People are like, oh, that was so inspirational. And then by Tuesday, you're like, what was he talking about? <laughs> well, that's where your notes come into play, to sit down and say, Lord, how do you want me to apply your word into my life this week? Because faith without works is, is dead. So you're ready to do that. Okay. Okay. Uh, Take out your phones. I hope you're taking notes. If you're texting, I pray in Jesus' name, it breaks right now, and it never works again. Okay. <laughs> but this is a foreshadow of the war that we're in. So we're introduced to Haman. You know what's interesting? If you take a note, Haman in Hebrew means noise. The enemy comes to bring a lot of noise, a lot of chaos. Right, a lot of tumult, a lot of, a lot of destruction. Like, he starts in your mind. Like, some of you guys right now, you can't even focus. Your mind is all over the place. You know, can I tell you something? You have the power to tell your mind. Like, you're going to focus right now in Jesus' name. You're going to be in this place. You're going to receive what God has for you in this moment. Because I can guarantee you there's nothing more important going on in your life than what's happening right 
this very moment. Can you say amen? But Jesus said this. I want to give this to you. John 10, 10. Jesus said, look, the thief's purpose, he called him a thief, is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So what is he trying to do? He's trying to keep you away from the rich and satisfying life that Jesus said he came to give you. See, the word rich there is the word prosperity. is the word prosper in, in mind, body, and soul. A lot of times people think it's just financial. That's a blessing. But guess what? You could be financially blessed and miss out on the rich and satisfying life. You know, I, I met with a millionaire long ago, and my heart broke for him because I saw a millionaire, but I saw a broken man. Right? You, know, you could be, you can have that, but your heart can still be empty. Right? If you're not in the rich and satisfying life that he has for you. Matter of fact, the enemy sometimes will give you the riches so you don't find the rich and satisfying. What is, what is worth a man winning the, the whole world but losing his soul in the process, the Bible says? Now, money is not the problem, the Bible says. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. Money is a great resource, but it's a terrible God. You know, money is a terrible God. Why? Because money will always make you bow down to fear. Money will always make you bow down to worries and anxieties and frustrations. Because why? You're letting that become your God over the God that says, no, I came to give you a rich and satisfying life. Pay attention. Pay attention. Don't let money become your God. He wants to rob you of this, and he comes in many ways. And I'm trying to summarize this for us. I'm trying to make it clear for us because you have to pinpoint these things. Because here's the thing. Just like any smart opponent, he will study you. Okay? He will study you. If you pay attention in, in, in the I mean, if you watch NBA... The, the, the key is, as, as they play from one game to the next, the key is to study your opponents and know how you can defeat them. I mean, uh, with the Celtics, it's, you know, it, best strategy is three to four years, let LeBron retire. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then maybe you can run the East. But, but you have to know your opponent. You have to know what they're going to do. You have to be able to see what's coming your way. Right? No one steps into a ring without first studying their opponent. Like, if they do, they're, they're dumb. Right? So, so you have to know how the enemy works. I want to give you some tactics here of the enemy so you've got to pinpoint these things. Because, believe me, he's working on you right now in one of these things. I, I, I want to make it clear for you. Look, there's five things I want to show you that the enemy does. Five Ds. Okay? He uses discouragement, defeat, delay, deception, and doubt. Matter of fact, one of those Ds are working in your life right now. Some of you might be two. Some of you might be three. Some of you might be four. Might be five. It depends on where you are in life right now. But pay attention that these things are coming at you, but they're coming to try to steal the rich and satisfying life that God has promised you. Discouragement is not from God. Now, get this. Discouragement is part of life. Everybody has a bad day. But when it turns into weeks and months, you got a problem. Okay? Everybody, everybody gets defeated once in a while. But the Bible says the righteous man may fall seven times, but he keeps getting up. Like, he doesn't stop getting up. Like, he keeps fighting. He doesn't stay down. Okay? Delay is a big one. You know, it's interesting how he always wants you to put off what you need to do today. Have you noticed how, how, how the urgency only comes for bad things? Can I, can I prove it to you? Yesterday, some of y'all didn't go to serve the city because you said you can go next month. But you were in a hurry to go to the mall. 
Oh, hello, somebody. Right? He makes you delay the right thing for the wrong thing. But he, he will disguise it in a good thing. Right? See, a lot of times the enemy is just making you focus on the good so you don't go to the great. Okay? He doesn't, he doesn't always come with a bad thing because that's obvious. He comes with a good thing by making you delay the great thing. The Bible says don't put off for tomorrow what you're supposed to do today. Like right now, I believe there's a word in you that God's already saying, like, you need to activate that. Right? If you don't activate it, the enemy is going to rob you from you. Delay is from the devil when it's supposed to be the right thing. Have you noticed, why are we not in an urgency to do the right things? Like, who has lied to us that the right things could be put off? Right? Why is it that we're always in a rush to do something crazy? Have you noticed how, like, when, when, when you are in a fight, that you're always in a rush to say the crazy thing. But no one's in a rush to delay that. And say, maybe I should think about this, pray about this, so I can approach it the right way. Are you paying attention? He's using one of these things in your life as I speak, right? But you don't have to fall for these things. These are the tactics that you recognize and say, wait a minute, something going on here. Right? Deception. We talked about deception in, in depth the other day. That his greatest lie is not temptation, it's deception. Did God really say that? That's deception. He's trying to deceive you out of the rich and satisfying life that God has for you. And then he uses doubt, right? Doubt is not a bad thing if it leads you to seek God more. God, doubt is a bad thing when he leads you away from the will of God, right? Doubt is part of life. You're always going to doubt. But let the doubt be a driving force to push you to pray more, to seek God more, to read his word more, not to walk away from the things of God. These are... The tactics of the enemy, and if you're paying attention, one of them is at work in your life right now. Pay attention. There's an enemy that is trying to take you away from the rich and satisfying life as we speak. Can you say amen? amen? See, here's the thing, right? At the end of the day, he wants to make you feel like you're doomed. You can't, you can't help it. Like you, you're done. You're throwing the towel. Like this, there's no way. You can't, you can't. Like he tries to make sin so impossible to overcome. And that's a lie. How do I know it's a lie? Because the Bible says Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. Like, he didn't come just to forgive you. He came to empower you to live above the level of sin and mediocrity. That's the truth. The rich and satisfying life is when you're living above the level of sin and mediocrity. Not maintaining it. The enemy will love for you to maintain. Because when you maintain, you don't change. Right? The enemy will love for you to stay status quo. Right, nothing changes, you stay the same, you know, nothing's moving you. Listen, the enemy will love for church to just be a high during the week and then you go down during the week. Pay attention that the stuff we talk about today is meant to affect your tomorrow. It's meant to affect your Tuesday and your Wednesday and your Thursday. You're not meant to be in a roller coaster ride. You're supposed to go from glory to glory. You're supposed to keep growing from faith to faith. That's the will of God. Which, I got to ask you a question. Do you prepare yourself to come to church? Don't you know the enemy would love for you to come in here and not receive a thing? Right? He's very, and in very practical ways, right? Because if you're tired, if you've been out all night, 2, 3 in the morning, try to come and receive, you can't. Your mind, body, and soul, all of it has to be aligned to be able to receive everything that God has for you. Right? And so the enemy will say, man, who, no, just, who cares? You're just hanging out. You worked so hard all weekend. All week you work. 
so you can come in here out of shape, spiritually speaking, so you don't receive. But here's what happens when you begin to align yourself with God's will all week. When you come to Sunday, it's just a continuation of what God's been doing on your life all week long. And what's amazing is this, is that what is being preached here will just become confirmation to what God's already been spoken to you all week long. Right? And, and the good thing is this. If you have that continuously and you prepare yourself to receive, guess what? You continue to add to your faith. It's not a drop-off and then I got to pick you up and then you got to drop again. You know, some people are like, I can't wait for Sunday. <laughs> Which is great. I'm, ex- I'm glad you can't wait for Sunday. I can't wait for Sunday. But all week long I've been seeking God. All week long I've been walking with him. I've been walking in his word. Like, I pray you have a relationship with this thing. Because I'm telling you, man, God speaks. God still speaks. This thing is active. I've been reading it faithfully for 19 years. It's still active. It's still changing me. It's still molding me. I'm still fascinated that I read the same passage 100 times. And the 101 time, I find something different in it. Like, it's amazing how much God will speak. Just pay attention. Pay attention. Listen, sin is not more powerful than grace. If sin and grace got into a fight, sin will lose every single time. Matter of fact, I'm confident because the Bible says this. You don't go on sinning by no means. Why would you? You have grace now. Grace is not a license to keep sinning. Grace is, is the power to live above the level of sin and mediocrity. That's the true grace of God. He, he rescues you and says now you have a new life. Like you have a new understanding of what that is. Like you don't go back to that ever again. Because why? Because that's dead. Now you have a new life in Christ. You know, it's got a tar- you got a target on your back. The moment you say yes to Jesus, the enemy doesn't bother people who he already has. That's why some people, they're like, oh, man, life is so good, nothing ever happens. It's like, man, that's you. you should be worried. That means you already got you. You know what I mean? Like, it means like you, you're not even a match. You're the Celtics. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm going there all day today. Because I was a Warriors fan for many years. They made fun of me. 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 But who's laughing now? Started from the bottom. Now we hit. Uh, <laughs> but there's targets. Listen, learn to understand that there's targets, okay? I want to show you clearly again today. My prayer is you see clearly what the enemy is doing. Look, he's targeting families. He's targeting the youth. He's targeting churches, and he targets nations. You know the Bible says he destroys nations? I'll give you an example right now. Have you ever paid attention to North Korea? You talk about a nation under a demonic oppression. You know how sad that is? You think it's about that guy? It's not about that guy. He's a pawn. He's just a pawn in the bigger picture. Like, man, listen, when you, when you, when you have no feel for human beings, man, something is wrong deeper than just what meets the eye. There's a demonic spirit that's driving this man to, to lead the nation the way he's leading. Listen, just tonight, when you go home, Google map North Korea at night. It's dark. It's dark. It's a picture of darkness. He controls the electricity. He controls the internet. He controls the media. He controls everything. You're talking about demonic He's under the oppression of the enemy. Right? You think Hitler was just Hitler on his own? Mussolini, Stalin, Saddam Hussein. Like, these are people who have been, they're pawns. 
in the bigger picture. He's after nations. He's after our nation right now. One nation under God. No one wants to say that anymore. Why? Because the enemy is working behind the scenes to try to get rid of God. He's after churches. Crazy how the church is supposed to be one of the greatest driving force of life. And the church is getting weaker and weaker. You know, he's so clever. What, is the, what has he done? He's made churches fight churches. Instead of reaching the world, we're fighting each other. You know how many people, quote-unquote Christians, have talked bad about us? They're supposed to be helping us. They're supposed to be on the same team as us. But they're talking about what we're doing as opposed to blessing us and praying for us. And we pray for you so we can together reach the city. The devil is a liar. That's not from God. got churches on every street corner next to each other but won't talk to each other that ain't normal see what god what the enemy has done is he has made a lot of abnormal things seem normal when the presence of god get on your life you begin to remove the veils you begin to see wait that's not normal that's not god's will God's will is not for churches to stay small, stay tiny, stay little, don't make a difference, don't go outside of your doors, don't try to engage the world. How are we supposed to win the world if we don't engage the world? How are we supposed to be able to be the light if the darkness is keep pushing us back and back and back into a little corner? Discern it. That's ain't God. When you start hearing someone talking about church, trust me, they ain't good from God. I can guarantee you that Jesus would never talk bad about his wife. You ever met a man that talks bad about his wife? He's a bad husband. Right? Like, I could be fighting with my wife, but you try to butt in, we're fighting against you. We'll resolve our stuff later, but right now, me and you, you better step. You better step. You know what I'm saying? Then I'll come back like, what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. We'll go a long way. Trust me. That was for free. Um, he's after the youth. Listen, church, you ever driven by the high school? Does your heart break when you see these kids? I'm telling you, if your heart doesn't break, man, you need to pray. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Like, if you see the youth and your first reaction is to be mad at them, angry at them, you, you are siding with the wrong person. The youth is lost because the enemy has driven a wedge between them and God's will. Our goal and our drive should be to reach one more youth. Because the Bible says that the strength of the youth was meant to be spent in serving the Lord, in rescuing others, and being a blessing in God's house, not out there acting a fool. He's after the youth. And then he's after families. You know, that's not normal for a kid to grow up without a dad. That's not normal. That's not God's normal. It's not normal for divorce to be in your family. Like, it's, if it's happened, okay, but guess what? You're not supposed to break that spirit. That's not from God. Like, God doesn't want that to be on your family. He doesn't want that to be on your kids. He doesn't want that to be part of your legacy. It's not normal. It's not normal for, for the husband to be in church but the wife somewhere else or vice versa. It's not normal for, for, the, for, the, for the family to be here but some kids are not. That's not God's will. We have bought into that like it's a normal thing. It's not normal in God's eyes. This is what the enemy does. He disrupts everything that God created. God created families right from the beginning. Right from Adam and Eve, he created family. And the enemy came in and drove a wedge between them. 
But the good news is when you come to Christ, you begin to develop new patterns. You begin to now align yourself with God's will and your family. You say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will walk with Jesus. Dads, he's coming after you. Because he knows if he can get you, he'll get the kids. Mom, he's coming after you because he knows if he can get you, your legacy will be ruined. Kids, he's coming after you because if he knows he gets you, then he can disrupt the legacy that your family is supposed to have. Like, the Bible says he blesses from generation to generation. Right? To me, one of the success of this church is not now. Let's wait 10, 15, 20 years. Let's see where our kids are. 10, 15 years from now, that tells me we've done something right. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. That's our job. But the enemy's working double over time. Listen, when I was a youth pastor, sometimes families, moms, help my kid, help my kid. It's like, man, I'm a youth pastor. I would love to help your kid. But guess what? Look at the amount of time I get to spend with them versus what they spend at home. Look, we're here for what, an hour and a half? How much time do they spend at home? Think about it, family. Like church should start at home. Like it's at home that you're supposed to establish these things for them to be able to see. Because you know they're smart. They don't go by what you tell them. They go by what you do. They're very, like, it's scary to be a parent. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, they pick up everything. And that's good and bad. So we have a lot of work to do to say, no, 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 as, as for us. We're going to start praying together as a family. We're going to start reading the Bible together. We're going to start putting God first. I'm going to, when you come home from school, we're going to have a debrief time. Like, what are they teaching you? What are they saying? It doesn't align itself with the right worldview that we're supposed to align ourselves with. You know? You're not just going to watch TV. We're going to put a parental thing on that thing so you can watch certain things that's going to bless you. It's going to help you. But guess what? We can't tell them to do those things if we're not doing it ourselves. The enemy would love for you to just let the world raise your family. Right? But the Bible puts the authority on the house, starting with the father. It says, no, you lead your family down, down the path of righteousness for my name's sake. Can you say amen? amen? Listen, you can win this thing. You can win this thing. You know, he came after Mordecai. You know, if you're taking notes, Mordecai means warrior. He came after the wrong guy. He came after a warrior who knew how to fight back. Right? Not physically, but spiritually. Right? you got to know how to fight back. And I want to give you some tools here from scriptures to show you, like, this is the thing you can win. Right? The drug epidemic in our city is demonic. But guess what? It's a winnable war. We can win this thing in Jesus' name. We can overcome addiction. We can overcome poverty. We can overcome brokenness in our families. We can overcome. We can overcome. And the Bible gives us the tools to do so. If you're ready, I'm going to give you four things. That will help you overcome. Number one, the Bible says this in Revelations 12. It says this, look. And they have defeated him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. Okay. How do you overcome? It's by the blood, first of all. Like, the blood of Jesus has power over darkness. Now, it's a weird thing to think about. How can blood have power? Because blood has life. Without life. Without blood, there's no life. So his blood was shed on your behalf so you can have that life running through your veins. And you can say, I have the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in me. It empowers me to say no to this darkness and say yes to the light, say yes to God's will, say yes to God's purpose. And so I call on Jesus to wash over me. 
to heal me, to restore my brokenness, to, to restore all the things that the enemy has stolen from me. And he says, you do it by the word of your testimony. In order to have a testimony, you've got to have a test. A lot of people don't have a testimony because they don't go through the test. The problem with quitting is it becomes normal. You're not supposed to quit. You're supposed to withstand the test to have a testimony. So you can say, every time you share what God has done in your life, you're defeating the enemy. Because he has put so many things in you and tried to defeat you. And he's put so many different things. But you keep rising up above it with the blood of Jesus in the word of your testimony. Every time you give a testimony, you're telling the devil you lose again. You lose again. That's why I love the prayer, prayer report. Someone got delivered from alcohol. The devil loses again. Like that's a, that's a win. That's a win. Two. The Bible tells you this in James chapter 4. He says this, look. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Resist. You got to have a resistance in you. Against the works of the enemy. How do you do that? If you humble yourself before God, that's where your strength comes from. That's hard for people to understand in the world because they think strength comes from you rising up. No, in the Bible, strength comes you from humbling yourself. When you humble yourself, then you get strength. Like in your weakness, the Bible says then you become strong. If you go to God with your weakness, you come back strong. You don't come back weak, you come back strong. Like it doesn't make any sense. The weak become strong, not the strong become weak. Sometimes the people that think they're strong, they're very weak. You humble yourself by, by humbling yourself means like I prostrate myself before God. Like I go before you, Lord, and I present you all these things that are trying to come at me. And the more I do that, the more I'm growing in my resistance. I'm getting stronger in my spirit the more I humble myself. It takes more strength to humble yourself than to be prideful. Right? The more I humble myself, submit myself to God's will, the stronger I'm getting. What happens when I begin to resist? Well, guess what? Your integrity grows. Your character grows. Your word grows. Right? Your faithfulness grows. Right? Every time you resist, you're saying no to the devil. You're saying yes to God and his will for your life. And your spiritual man is getting stronger. I've told you this. Let's put more stock in being spiritually buff than physically. Like, that's why I need to be strong. I need to be strong for my wife. I need to be strong for my kids. I need to be strong for my family. I need to be strong for this church. I need to be strong for my city. I have to resist these things that are trying to come against me. The way I do that is every day I lay myself before God and say, God, I'm not going to try to live this life in my own strength, in my own will, in my own power. You have to empower me to live this life that you call me to live. Got to resist. The problem with quitting is you, you become weaker and weaker. Once you, once, you, once you pull a rubber band, it becomes weaker and weaker. And now you have no resistance. He just comes in and wreaks havoc when he wants to. He does whatever he wants to. But that's not God's will. God's will for you is to humble yourself to him, resist him, and watch him flee from you. Because he'll come back. The Bible says he always looks for opportune times to come and get you. Have you noticed? It's, it's when you're most tired and you're most vulnerable. He waited when Jesus was the most tired and hungry that he came and he tried to deceive him. But Jesus was still strong in his spirit. And he says, no, man does not live in bed alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Watch when you're tired the decisions that you make. When David was tired, he said, guys, you go fight this battle. And here comes Bathsheba. And that ruined his legacy. 
You know, after David defeated Goliath, 15 years of his life was the most miserable 15 years of his life because of that one decision. I'm tired today. You guys go. Samson was tired when Delilah came in. It's when you're tired that you're most vulnerable. Two, three in the morning, watch the decisions that you make when you're tired. It's when you're tired that you overeat. It's when you're emotionally tired that you hook up with the wrong guy. It's when you're tired. Why? Because you're not renewing your strength in the Lord. The Bible says those who renew their strength in the Lord will rise up with wings like eagles and they will fly. It's when you're tired. It's when you're tired that one beer turns to ten. Resist. He will flee from you. Resist. Every time you resist, you win. And if you have a family, your family wins. Can you say amen? amen? Number three, look, the Bible gives us tools. Ephesians says this, look, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. A foothold. You know what the foothold is? It's when the door is about to close and you go. The devil would love to have a foothold in your life. Just leave a little crack open. That's all you need. Just a little bit. And what do we say? We agree with him. It's not that big of a deal. It's just a foothold. Everybody's doing it. No one's perfect. Everybody's a hypocrite. You don't have to be that into church. All he needs is a little foothold to get a hold of you and your entire household. You know, I don't know what happened. One thing led to another. You ever heard that? As a youth pastor, I used to hear that a lot. It's like, wait, you know how many things have to lead to a lot of things for you to be naked with someone and having sex with them? No, it's a foothold that you let in. And that, and that became more than a foothold. And now we're like, we, we say, what happened? Well, we know what happened. It's a foothold. All he needs is one click on that computer. Because it's a foothold that says, you know what foothold says? A lust. Come on. We're in. A pride, we're in. Shadiness, we're in. Hypo- hypocrisy, come on. Come on, he doesn't travel alone. He brings all these other nonsense over you to get in the door. Just a foothold. Just a foothold. Just a foothold. That church, all they want is money. Here's a foothold. A greed, come on. A disunity, come on. Hey, come on. Come on, let's go. We got a foothold, we're in. Be careful what you agree with. Be careful what the foothold that you're giving the devil in. You know, people say, I'm just angry just the way I am. Well, you can stay the way you are, or you can be born again. And say, God, I'm not going to live my life like this. I'm not going to live my life like this. You know, he is downplayed pornography. We think it's so normal. And we wonder why our relationships are not working. We think it's so normal. We wonder why. How come I can't connect with someone in real life? Because he's cheapening what you're supposed to have in the first place. It's cheapening the real deal. The real deal has been cheapened. I don't know how to be intimate with someone because he sold you the false intimacy. It's just a click. No, it's a foothold. It's a foothold. 
into other things. You don't have to be that into church. But you know what, though? You should be a fanatic for the Patriots, the Celtics, all the stuff that doesn't matter. Like, you should, like, call the radio. Tell them your opinion because you know what you're talking about. But don't be that fanatic about Jesus in the church. Like, you know what needs that? We don't need that. We don't need that. Tell them what's wrong with the church. Don't ever encourage the pastor. Don't ever talk, you know, with him. Don't ever, when someone rises up something against him and you don't talk and you say, no, 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 that's, that's our leader. We're going to protect him. We're going to bless him. We're going to serve him. We're going to love him. It's a foothold. It's a foothold. Careful who you're agreeing with. Jesus said, when two or three are gathered in my name, there's unity, there's healing, there's blessings, there's restoration, there's power. Let me tell you something. One of the biggest lies of the enemy is through spiritual things. You make it sound so spiritual. But if you're discerning, you're like, wait a minute though. Get behind me, Satan. He told his best friend, Peter, get behind me. That ain't from God. You sound good, but it ain't great. God's got great plans for my life. Get behind me. Pastor, I got a word from you. Are you from God? Get behind me. I want to hear it. I got plenty of advisors, mentors, and leaders who have walked the walk for many years. I look to them. I pay attention to those who have walked this thing, not some people who have it in their minds. Gosh, I got three pastors who have been doing this for 30 years, faithful to the church, faithful to their wives, faithful to their kids, faithful to money, faithful to integrity. That's what I look for. That's who I roll with. People who've been there, done that. And still doing it. That's what I look for. Can you say amen? amen? Come on, you can put a stop to this stuff. A lot of nonsense, a lot of noise. Can you say amen? amen. Listen, but here's how you're going to do it. You cannot think that God works in autopilot. In other words, you can't just get up and think everything just lines itself up. Okay? You have to activate these things we just talked about. Every day. The battle is every day. You don't have to be afraid of the enemy. I'm not afraid of the enemy, but I'm aware of him. There's a difference. Okay? There's a difference to be aware to say, wait a minute, that's an attack. And don't be surprised if people don't recognize it because not everybody walks with the Lord. They could be in church and not recognize the warfare. If you're not careful, you'll fall for the wrong things and you will side with the wrong side. If you're not discerning the voice of the enemy, can you say amen? amen. You know, but you can't be autopilot. Here's what I mean about that. You know, we sing, you move the mountains. We love that song. You move the mountains. And it's true, but there are some mountains you won't move. Why? Because it's up to you to move that mountain. He's empowered you to move certain mountains. Hey, God's not going to move that computer. That's up to you to move that computer. Like, God's not going to keep you from flirting. It's up to you to keep yourself from flirting. Like, some things God's not going to move. He's like, I empowered you to make these decisions and these choices. It's up to you to stop sleeping with someone you're not married to. God's not going to, God, please stop me from sleeping with this person. That's a mountain you already gave you power to move. God, you can do anything. Yes, I do the impossible. You do the possible. 
Do the possible. Watch me do the impossible. I really want a financial breakthrough. Well, do the possible. Tithe. <laughs> Stop there. Watch God do the impossible. Because he's good. Can you say amen? Listen, you have authority. He has royalty in your DNA. That's what he said. Esther, you have royalty. In other words, don't pray like you're a beggar. Pray like you're a son and a daughter. Pray like you know there's a God who loves you, is for you, and he wants to work on your behalf. Some people still praying like they're begging God, please, God, please. It's like, no. You're a son. You're a daughter. You come and you dictate things in the spirit. Don't you know your prayers are more than just saying words? It's prophesying the things that you want to see in your life. Prayer is prophesying. Prayer is deliverance. Right? If there's stuff going on in your house, like sometimes people are like, Pastor, you come pray over my house. I feel like there's something there. Are you a Christian? If you are, then you better stop speaking life over your house. Go to every room and start prophesying the, pa- the power of Jesus, the will of Jesus, the ways of Jesus over your life. You don't have to wait for the pastor to come over. You have the power in you. God has given you authority to declare everything that you want to see over your life, over your family, over your situation, over this city. There's power in this thing. We're not here to play games. Just to get goosebumps and go home. No, we're here to overcome. Your house should be blessed. Your house should be filled with joy and peace and the power of the Holy Spirit. Your kids should be blessed. Your kids' kids should be blessed. Your finances should be blessed. Your family should be blessed. All of you should be blessed. Is anybody in this place know what I'm talking about? You are meant to overcome in Jesus' name. How about you give them some praise this morning? can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. But it's all yours. It's there. It says, I'm giving you authority over that addiction. Giving you authority over that lust. Giving you authority over that divorce. I'm giving you authority over, your, over the things that are trying to plague your kids. I'm giving you authority. Prophesy. Speak over your life. Isn't it crazy the energy that we spend on other things? If the people who are so concerned with church were putting that energy into their families and pray and see God do a breakthrough, like you should have a prayer target every day. God, these are the things I'm bringing before you every single day. I'm not going to stop until I see my husband get saved. I'm not going to stop until my kids come to you. I'm not going to stop until I break out of the things that are holding me back. I'm not going to stop. My God, I'm running out of time. You guys good? Let me end here. Romans 8, 17 says this about you. This is who you are. Look, and since we are his children, we are his heirs, which is another word for royalty. Okay. In fact, together with Christ, we are royalty of God's glory. But if we, share, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. So in other words, there's a process. Jesus didn't just resurrect without going to the cross first. Right? And so there's a process to this whole thing, royalty, that we're talking about. Right? And God's not through with us yet. But guess what? You are royalty. You need to see yourself for who God has created you. He would love to distort your identity. You're not good. You will never be good. You never mount to anything. 
That's not what God says. God says you're royalty. I need to start speaking. That's why you need to have a relationship with this thing. So you can know who you truly are and who you're meant to be, who you're created to be in the first place. Can you say amen? I want to speak some things over you. Listen, you have been transformed. You will be seated higher than the angels, the Bible says. Haman doesn't dictate your life. You do. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Your prayer life must change from a beggar to a son and a daughter. Some mountains God won't move because that's possible for you to move. He's empowered you to move some things. And he will do the supernatural. Which means it's up to me to dictate what's happening to my family. It's up to me to declare over my kids, over my marriage, my future, my finances, and even my city. Did you know that? That you can play a role in this city? You're like, man, I'm crazy. I'm one person. Can I prove it to you? Abraham came before God and said, God, I want to plead with you for Sodom and Gomorrah. Did you know that? You know, God said, okay, let's talk about it. And there are 50 righteous in that city. He said, ah, I don't know. About 45. God kept bringing the number down. God was having a conversation with Abraham over a city. So you got to ask the question, how many righteous people are in the city who are willing to intercede for the city so the city doesn't go to hell, but the city can rise up and see the will of God being done in their life? How many Abrahams will say, God, I'm here for New Bedford. I'm here for Fairhaven. I'm here for Somerset. I'm here for Fall River. I'm here for South Coast. God, not just me, my family, but my entire city, Lord. My entire city, Lord. I'm here to come against that addiction. I'm here to come against poverty. I'm here to come against the violence, God. I didn't come just for me, Lord. I came for the whole city. Do I have anybody who is an Abraham to this city to say, God, let your will be done in my city. Let it be done in my life, but also let it be done in that high school. Let it be done in this middle school. Let it be done, Lord God, wherever there's life, Lord, bring us back to you. Oh. Jesus said, pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, your will is not for people to die of addiction. Your will is for people to die of natural causes. God, your will is not for these families to be broken, you're with us for them to be whole, to have a mom and a dad, to get married, to have a legacy, to have a heritage where the kids will be blessed and the kids will be blessed generation to generation to generation. God, that is your will. I'm praying your will be done here where I live as it is done where you live, God. Thy will be done. Pray with authority that is given you. But let me end here. When Joshua was taking the promised land, we've talked about this. They won a battle and lost another one. Joshua came running to God, crying, God, what happened? You said we would win every battle. You know what God told Joshua? Get up. He said, there's sin in your camp. Say, if you deal with the sin, I'll do the impossible. We can't expect God to move if there are sin in our camp that we haven't dealt with. Deal with the stuff that you can deal with. Watch God do the stuff that only he can do. He said, get up. Deal with that sin. Deal with that pornography. Deal with that lust. Deal with that thing and watch what I will do. Some things only you can do. 
Because it tells God, God, I'm so serious. I'm going to do my part and you are going to do what only you can do. What is it that you need to deal with this morning to see the will of God in a mighty way? Listen, I believe this, this city is under some curses. I don't know where they come from. There's slavery in this history. Slavery is not God's will. There's some things we need to, as a church, I pray that you're praying against those things. God, break the curse off of the city. This is not your will for people to be dying every other day of addiction. That's not God's will. It's not God's will. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information on New Life and all of our campuses, log on to www.atnewlife.org.